you know a spot. But not just a spot. The spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots? Being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your Frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. State Farm Insurance knows that understanding and investing in our cultural identity is paramount in protecting our future. We know what it's like to go from nothing to something to wish that we had better financial literacy when we were younger. Luckily, State Farm is here to help with funding programs like Project Ready, which is committed to education achievement and has already awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to black and brown youth since 2021. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Afrotech 2017, San Francisco, California. Marlon Nichols, partner at Mac Venture Capital, is on the main stage talking about startup cap tables. And is asked the question by someone in the audience about how startups are valued by VCs. We've seen several black-owned startup valuations get some serious love in recent months. Here's how venture capitalists decide what a company is worth when they're placing their bets. So your question is how, how's the valuation set, right? Um, it's kind of ambiguous, actually. Um, it, it, it can be, you know, an entrepreneur feels that their, their company is worth this amount. Um, from an investor's perspective, if there are tangible things like revenue, right, I'll look at that. Um, and then apply a multiple towards that, that revenue. So let's say other companies in the space are, let's call it trading at a 4X multiple. I would apply that 4X to, to that revenue number and that's how I get my, my valuation. But then there are other things you gotta consider too, like you know, is this a return founder? Um, has she sold a company before for a lot of money? Has she taken a company public before? Is this the same team? You give them some credit for that so the valuation starts to inch up, right? Is it a, um, is it a really new and hot space? Is this deal really competitive? Is, um, you know, Brian over at K4 Capital trying to steal the deal from me and I gotta, and I gotta outprice him or something like that, right? So um, a, a lot of things go into it, but uh, generally you try to find markers and, um, and uh, yeah, industry markers to, to help you figure it out. I'm Will Lucas. This is Black Tech, Green Money. I'm going to introduce you to some of the biggest names, some of the brightest minds, and brilliant ideas. If you're black in building or simply using tech to secure your bag, this podcast is for you. 
Janine Uzel is an American global technology executive and CEO of Nesby, National Society of Black Engineers. She previously served as director of healthcare programs in Africa and head of women in technology for GE and as COO of the Wikimedia Foundation, which runs Wikipedia. I asked Janine about the global perspective and if traveling abroad is imperative for the success of a black engineer. Let me say that for a world-class black engineer, it is a game changer. And I want to put it at the forefront of the way um, black techies, black engineers prioritize their decision-making. Um, my father, who is deceased, was um, a guy from the South, came up to New Jersey as a part of the uh, Great Migration, sang some doo-wop, and then, you know, hustled his way to raise a family. And he was like, I cannot afford to give you this world, but I'm going to give everything I have to educating you and you get yourself there. The career that I had at General Electric gave me an opportunity to say yes to things that black people traditionally don't say yes to. And as a result, it took me around the world multiple times. Doing that as a black person makes a world of difference because you do not see us in those spaces internationally. We're not there. Yeah, so it changes it changes everything. And so I mean it's different, I would imagine, being a resident, being from, you know, domestic United States and then, you know, having the experiences we have here, you know, growing up and wherever whatever we grow up, you know, we deal with certain issues. And I wonder, you know, for black people who are working abroad and do get those opportunities that the kind that you've had an experience, um, the privilege to experience, how do we prepare for those global assignments? So I imagine you know, just being in foreign lands, you know, you just, how do you control your safety? How do you prepare before you get the opportunity? You know, I'm going to say that, I, I, unfortunately, there's there's no training ground for us in that space, right? The average black person, we probably don't, you know, my parents weren't, weren't members of any country club and, you know, we went to church. <laughs> that was our social life, right? Yeah. We went to church, we went to choir rehearsal, and then we had some family, you know, um, some family events in the process. So there's, there's not a way, honestly, to learn that unless those of us that experience it make ourselves available. And it's, it's why I talk about it whenever I'm in our community. I'm like, you all need to say yes to some of these assignments. And then you start to teach them you know, how to go about it. One of my greatest mentors, who is one of my, my dear friends to this day, Paula Madison, she, the things that she coached me on when I was a leader in GE were things that I'd never heard before and I'd never known we should learn. And those are things like how to ride on a corporate jet, the things that you're supposed to do, you know, uh, be paying attention to, but, you know, listening for, ways to dress as a woman in leadership, yeah. um, how to respond and act in different spaces. Those things did not happen for me until much further along in my career. And I'm very grateful that, that she's been a part of that development. But we have to bring those into the conversations that we have. There's not many of us that get to do that. And so there's not many having the conversations. But what will need to happen is that um, whenever I speak, whenever I'm in front of audiences, I always talk about the, the global experience and what it can mean. Because the training ground needs to be as intense as the actual leadership role that you have and as simple as how you pack and respond and talk and, and carry yourself in, in those environments. And I learned those all by default, um, you know, but you, you learn them. You know, when we think about engineering, we think about these, these your people who build, 
things or design systems or et cetera. And in the world we live in, you called yourself a globalist before I've heard you called yourself a globalist and does having that global experience being across the world, being, you know, having actual firsthand experiences, is that required today of any engineer? Can, can, like, can you make a case for if you want to be an engineer, if you're going to college or if you're finding your first opportunity in school, uh, post-school, can you make a case for traveling abroad and why should those people prioritize getting that experience? Because you're not just building so for domestic audiences anymore. We're building for the global world, right? It is, is it a requirement? No. Would I want to make it a requirement? Absolutely. My, I have two female cousins that studied engineering, both of them. I said, you've got to go abroad. You ha and I talked to their parents, who are my first cousins, like, you have to let them do this. I think it's imperative. It changes the way that you think, the way that you solve. And, and engineering already gives you a very critical, strategic, different way of solving problems. So it's, it's an incredible education, and it's, it's such a wonderful curriculum to study because you can use it whether you stay in the world of tech or not, it's just the way that you think and you approach um, solving a problem. But when you take that and you partner it with um, a global perspective, the way that you lead, the way that you build and solve, I think the way that you are as a person and a human human being, your perspective changes. And it could be, you know, I could give you tons of examples of what it what it meant to solve problems in India and Indonesia and Africa and Saudi as a black woman from New Jersey. Um, and it makes all the difference. The other thing that it does is it puts you in a very um, unique and sometimes isolated space because you become so incredibly different and mm. um, sometimes that that's um, that's a lonely and sometimes difficult place to be let's talk about talk about what that what you mean by that you know it's it's you know things change the way that the way that you might eat the things that you like I fell in love with African fashion and design and maybe before it became popular um, socially here I you know you may change some of your Western ways uh, you know I worked in Saudi I had to wear burqa every day I'm like uh, you know what does this mean to my faith I, I thought I was cheating on Jesus you know I was like should I be doing this but it was culturally what I needed to do um, to fit into that space you know um, what it means to work in a place where when the internet goes out it's not just like on your block like no the entire city of accra is out of internet for a while how do we work you know if i'm not trying to build I, I would imagine you would admonish folks but if i'm not trying to build you know the next facebook or the next google but let's say i just want to build a really good you know we can call them lifestyle company i just want to build something a, a great you know, um, or engineer systems for a small business um, in my hometown. Uh, does having a global perspective matter to you in that is if I'm not trying to build, you know, these trillion dollar companies? Well, again, I'm speaking to uh, an audience of, of, of black techies, and I would say that any perspective that you bring, whether you bring it from New Orleans or Oakland, or Newark, New Jersey, it's almost going to be global to to the world that you're in um, because where we're from 
uh, is all is often so very different. We're 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 other than everyone that we're usually around. I would say that um, if you're given an opportunity, I'm, you're going to always hear me say that globalism is a way of life, and it is a way that not only the things that we bring to a place, um, the experiences that we bring back, but the experiences that we take in. I was a black American living in Africa. I was still a black American, right? And I was home, so to speak, right? Yeah, Africa yeah. was everything to me. But I was still a black American. So I was bringing something to them as well. And um, it certainly isn't uh, a bad thing to bring into anything you're trying to build from lifestyle. Um, I have a friend that has that runs a lifestyle business and she's focused on teas and and you know some of her best products are international tea leaves that she mixes with you know American flavor so I think that there's always um, a case for what we can bring to the world and what the world can give to us yeah I love that I love that you know speaking um about you know the, our contributions to culture like there are people who would be watching or listening to us who may be anywhere in the world. Um, and for black people, particularly black engineers, how can we better leverage our contributions to culture um, for our own wealth opportunity? And specifically, like, how can engineers take on like an owner's equity mentality and not just build something that makes other people wealthy? Well, it starts with an entrepreneurial mindset and as an engineer like when i was in school I'm, i studied mechanical engineering and it's super hard and i was just focused on trying to learn thermodynamics and and things like that i wasn't thinking about what it could mean to build something that um, was going to be great for myself as an independent leader universities now offer entrepreneurial tracks and i think that integrating that into um, the engineering and the tech platforms are critical. You'll see it um, maybe in software engineering and computer science because a lot of those folks move into that VC space. I think we need to put that same kind of trend and that same track into the engineering mindset. I'm, I'm trying to do that here at Nesby where I'm the CEO. It's, it's important for me to have us think uh, in ways that can bring about independent design strategies. We have so many great solutions. We know how to take things down and rebuild them and bring them into better spaces for the world and for us. Um, but sometimes we as engineers can get so head down, sleeves rolled up, solve, 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 that we forget uh, to look at what this could mean for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I was very much like that, you know, and, and I think we, we can miss that. So there's, um, there's a, an entrepreneurial training that I think would be relevant so that we can know what the opportunities are for us to create structures and solutions that will be just as independent or create an independent wealth for us, which is something that I'm so committed to now because I've had a chance to build wealth in a way that I wasn't thinking about when I was in college, I was just like, get this degree, graduate, I'll probably work in manufacturing, and I'm going to have a great job and a great yeah. career one day and just work. You know, because it's so interesting hearing you talk about that, and I want you to correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I look at people 
or I, I find it interesting when I talk to folks who may be engineers or you know, maybe they're product designers or elsewhere and, and they work on solutions at big companies and they help those companies get rewarded patents and et cetera. And I always have wondered, like that feels like a giveaway to me. It feels like you did all this work and now this big organization has this reward for your efforts. And I've never understood, I'm an entrepreneur first, like that's what I, I'm first at. And so help me understand from the thinking behind it, is, is that erroneous or is like, was there something that was missing from the conversation? There's a grayness there when it comes to patents. I can't speak to how every company works, but many times, there's a couple of things that happen when you join a, a multinational, you know, you'll sign um, and say, you know, these ideas that we build in here belong to the company. There are some companies that when you are in the room, depending on when you're in the room, when concepts are developed, your name becomes a part of the design or the patent that's created for that product. And in some companies, when your name is on a patent, you receive what's called a patent bonus. So you're not giving it all away because you can receive a patent bonus for the life of how, of how that technology may be used. So imagine someone that was in the room for the design of, of the electronic battery that, that fuels you know, the electronic vehicles now. They're still getting um, rewarded for that. So there are instances where, um, you know, my college roommate, she's got two or three patents, a black female material science engineer. And I'm not sure how the company she works for does it, but other companies will allow you to receive a bonus. Here's the tricky piece. And this is where gender um, and disparity in gender in the area of engineering comes into play, Will. And that is because many times women are left out of conversations where the patent discussion or design is being held. We may mm -hmm. be in the initial piece and then we may be towards the end, but that piece in the middle where the names get on that paper there yeah. and you're actually gonna be a part of that design patent, there's a gap there. And that sometimes comes from our inability to be brought in to discussion. Sometimes we don't push ourselves into the room. Um, and, and so we can miss out on that. So we always want to inspire and encourage women to make sure that they get in the room and stay in the room. Again, every company does it different, but there are many times when you can create a patent and you'll be given um, a bonus for that. The other thing that you always have to be mindful of, particularly you're an entrepreneur first. So when you build things, you're building them in your brand, depending on who you work for, anything that you design or build, even if it's outside of that building, it could be a conflict of interest. And so you have to be very careful. It's why many times um, we'll leave the workforce if we do get kind of bit by that entrepreneurial bug. Yeah. We're like, I got I to gotta leave from here because this is dipping into my right pocket, right? right. And my dad always told me, you can't let your right pocket know what your left pocket yeah. is doing. Yeah. You got you to gotta keep them both overflowing. Yeah, I mean, because that, that was so. always my thinking. I'm like, you're creating things. Like, why are you doing it there? Like, you could be doing it under your own 
Well, Better. now we know your show talks about this often. You know how hard it is for black people to start entities and to start businesses and technology companies, labs and uh, what it costs to operate in a lab or to if you're working with chemicals or machinery, that is expensive. Yeah. So you think about you're doing a startup and you're in a room co-creating ideas, tossing stuff on a board. Imagine if you had to build a mechanical system to actually as a template for how that would work. These things are expensive. Mm -hmm. And so to say that we have the opportunity financially, and this is why we have to go back and be able to fund these types of businesses and ideas. You know, I, I long for the day when I, I'll be able to have a black tech accelerator and we'll be able to drive these engineering solutions through there and fund them ourselves and create something like that. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. We want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. It also requires active sponsorship of programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, along with funding programs like Project Ready, a national urban league program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. If you're looking for the most epic place on earth... Let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. How do we level the playing field for all entrepreneurs? 55% of white businesses survive the startup phase, while only 4% of black businesses do the same. So I want every black entrepreneur to know about the One Million Black Businesses Initiative. The One Million Black Businesses Initiative is an award-winning program created by Shopify and Operation Hope. They're on a mission to start, grow, and scale one million black businesses by 2030, driving wealth creation for the black community. Out of 6 million employer-owned businesses in the U.S., only 2.3% have black ownership. This program gives black entrepreneurs tools and resources to level the playing field. From free business coaching to tailored training and extended free Shopify trial. Shopify's made a 10-year, multi-million dollar commitment to the program and it's working. The initiative already started, supported, and engaged with over 334,000 black businesses. Helping them operate businesses that sell anything from skateboards to coffee beans to apparel. Business owners love this program. Simone Harvin, founder of SC Creative Group, says, The one million black businesses experience for me was unlike any other program I've been a part of, primarily because it was for us and it was by us. Here at Drink Champs, we are always interacting with our listeners, many being black entrepreneurs. Shopify is one of those platforms that empowers and emboldens entrepreneurship. So chart your own path for business success with the One Million Black Businesses Initiative and Shopify. Bring your business to Shopify with an exclusive offer at shopify.com slash B-E-N, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash B-E-N. I love that. That's the big dream.
For sure. And, and I was watching a talk you did and you were talking about, you know, when you are doing that hard work, that's where the value, like you, really, you do the work nobody else wants to do. And you spoke about when that work ultimately does then become sexy, those opportunities start to get taken away from us and how we have to own our contributions to the creation of that value and be bold about it, be confident about it and fight for, you know, that value that we created. You know, what are some of the lessons you learned about how to show up boldly when others want to, you know, place you in or keep you in an inferior position? You know, I had, um, I just had so many disappointments and honestly, I think I've, I've not tried to live my life in a state of regret, but if I had to say something that I regret, it will always be not standing up for myself soon enough, not um, taking a bold enough step to say, regardless, this is, uh, you can't have this, this is mine. Um, you know, we're just, I was taught differently. I was young and I, I didn't know, you know, the fight or the pushback. There's a tipping point in something that happens when you just say, I'm not gonna take it anymore. Um, and sometimes for me, watching the younger generation show up in boldness around me has empowered me to, to stand up very differently because I, I want to be something different for the generations that I speak to. And honestly, I started to take a look at what legacy was gonna look like for me. And I had to decide, was legacy gonna be for me an amazing career at a company, which is nothing wrong with that. My, I was raised that way, both my parents did that. Or was it going to be an opportunity to take my brand and say that the groundbreaking work that I've been a part of has been done under the UZL watch and not every other entity that I've been a part of. And that was something I really wanted to do. I had, you know, my brother said to me once, I'm not sure why you show up every day like daddy's name is on the side of that building. It's not. And he was, and I was just like, he's like, why, why are you so upset? These people aren't your, aren't your parents. You know, if you're going to do this, let's, let's build something for us. And so now, you know, even here at Nesby, it's because I want to bring back the information and the things that I've learned and the passion that I have and do something great for black people. And I think that, you know, if I can share some of the secrets and some of the lessons that I've learned, then I'll be able to say this is legacy that I wanted to take a look at. And I also believe that, you know, I've had an opportunity to create a pathway to wealth, like I said, that I was, I didn't even know I could think my way through at one point. And now I'm not letting anybody get in the way of that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I met you um, a little over a month ago, maybe two months ago, and mm -hmm. I saw you with your blue hair, your funky glasses. I'm like, yeah, I'm, ne I'm never going to forget her, right? I'm never going to, you can't forget her. You know, and, and I remember, you know, listening to this talk Jay-Z gave about, you know, how he shows up in every room as himself. He's not putting on any airs and he's not, you know, changing the way he talks. Like he's, and I'm, and I'm thinking the one side of him is like, yeah, well, you're Jay-Z. Like you don't have to, you know, do that. And then I look at you and I'm like, she's got her blue hair. And there, I would imagine there was a day in your career where you couldn't walk in with blue hair. And I, I guess my question is, is at what point is it OK to completely show up as ourselves when we're walking in these corporate spaces, when we're walking in these, you know, career roles? How do we get past 
the idea or can we get past the idea that we have to, you know, code switch? Like at, at what has to happen so that we can just be who we are and provide value? So I no longer ascribe to the model that says I have to be different in other places. Um, I'm already different in every place because as, as Shonda Rhyme talks about this, the first, the only, the different, the five, she talks about that, particularly with black women. In most places we ever go to, we're usually the first, the first to trailblaze something. We're, all, we're usually the only when it comes to women and we're always different. So if that's always the case and if the one thing that the world is most conditioned to understand and relate to are white men and I can never ever be that in my life, that I'm just gonna to ascribe to being myself because I'm never gonna be what the traditional world will always want in anything that they do. And while you can look at a photo montage of me throughout my career and see that it's only the past maybe five years or so that I've presented myself in that way, what I wish and now I, I ascribe to is being that person up front. You know, if, if Nesby didn't think that I could lead as CEO because of blue streaks in my hair, then I probably just didn't need to work here. They don't affect my ability to solve or the way that I think and the way that I can raise money and balance a budget and build a P&L and lead people. Um, and as long as the way that I present is not offensive to a culture um, or a space where I work or something that I'm bringing into a place where it's going to create some sort of offense, you know, I'm not going to wear a tube top shorts in the middle of Saudi. It's yeah. illegal, first of all, and it's offensive, right? But my intentions aren't to be offensive or to make people uncomfortable. They're just to make me to make me comfortable in a space where I'm always uncomfortable and no one is ever ascribing to make sure that I'm okay. And yeah. if all I need is a little bit of blue streak and one of my tattoos out, if that's the worst that it can be, then we probably need to um, to readdress the way that we prioritize how we take people seriously or not. I'm watching people in the world do some of the most amazing things and they either have hair or don't have it or it's whatever color it needs to be. I only wish I had done that sooner. Yeah, I mean, we've got folks um, inevitably watching this or listening to this who are black techies who work for the Facebooks, the Googles, the, you know, Snapchats of the world or whatever. And, you know, we live in a world where at least in tech, we're often contributing to systems, products, processes, or whatever that don't always totally align with our values to a T. Let's say, you know, if, if Mark Zuckerberg takes a position on something, that doesn't mean everybody at Facebook believes that thing, right? And so does that mean that, you know, because we're building things that impact how the world works fundamentally, um, and I think most of us would agree with, you know, particularly social media, it, it impacts how we work. Um, regardless of how, how do we, having convictions, continue to make impact there? Or is, is it like, I don't believe in what this is doing to our, us as a society? Or do we give in? Or do we continue to stay and con continue to carve out our way of internally fighting the battle when they have global, societal, cultural implications? If we are going to throw in the towel, well then, you know, we, what's, what, what on earth are we here for every day? And I believe that every day that we're given life and breath, 
then we're given purpose and we're called to do something that creates change and that's in whatever area of your life whether it's your your profession your vocation your avocation your your familial life whatever it is that you're called to do uh, i believe that you know we all have a, a reason for why we get two feet on the floor uh, each and every day and i never ever thought that my life would be revolutionary in fact, for the longest time I was working with my coach, I couldn't even say the word. I didn't want to use that word in a sentence because I'm like, no, that's not who I am. I don't want to rock the boat. But everything I've ever done in my career, even when I was just trying to not rock the boat, was rocking it. And it was setting me up to be in a position of leadership like where I am today, where I now get to say we're going to rock the boat and on my watch we're going to tip it flip it and do it again and when when we're in these seats it's not just being in the room it's not just sitting at this seat what are we going to do with the positions and the opportunity like how you're using your microphone the stories we're going to tell the influence that we're going to make so no we we cannot give up i believe strongly in this it's a little preachy, but this is this is what I believe. I believe that the black tech movement is is positioned right now to move our community of people forward just as heavy and just as impactfully as um, the days when our ancestors and family members were walking across bridges and pushing for voter rights and fighting in the same way. Technology and the impact of technology on black people and the influence that we need to have in the design of technology for solutions in the world is the movement, absolutely. And so we cannot stand down. We have to get into the movement. And we have to push our way in because the world doesn't want us in that space because they know what the outcome will be. And when technology goes wrong on our watch, Will, people die. It's not just a bad user experience. Oh, I hate these earbuds. It is artificial intelligence is, is mixing your face up with someone else yeah, yeah. and that impacts your life. It's very dangerous and I'm very, very passionate about that. So I do not believe that we can stand on. I believe that we have to equip one another to stay in the fight. And that is tribal, community, you know, work like this, podcasts like this, stories like this, people like this that are coming together. There's enough, there is so much out there, Will, there's enough for all of us. What we have to do is come together and be a, bring this revolution together ourselves. Yeah, so let's, let's go a level deeper because you've, you've achieved, you know, like as you described, you know, a revolutionary career, you know, a revolutionary contribution to technology, you know, beyond GE, I mean, COO at Wikimedia, you know, which ran Wikipedia, I mean, one of the biggest websites in the world and running Nesby and, you know, with the black SPAC. And I want to talk about that because, you know, you've, you're sitting in some seats that um, have a heavy contribution to um, what, what you talked about earlier is that we should be able to fund other companies by black folks. We, sh we should be in a position of wealth that we can fund things that should exist for our people. I want to talk about how you feel or whatever responsibility you feel in roles such that you sit in. And if you could speak on the black SPAC, um, a little mix in this, sure. how do you feel the responsibility of these roles to enable those coming beside you and uh, behind you and 
um, opening up the doors of wealth opportunity and leadership opportunity for them. So I feel um, a weight of responsibility that I think is necessary um, to stay humble. I think that's something my parents taught me. I believe, similar to the question you asked me earlier, that if I have to change something about me that's just you know unique and critical to who I am, like the color of my hair, to be in a room, then I don't want to be in that room unless that room is like, you know, you should come in this room anyway. These people are going to think we're all crazy. Okay, great, <laughs> let's do it. Um, because that's the kind of pot that I want to stir. I don't want to do the traditional work where I believe that I'm called to do some things that are going to be very, very different. And um, the experiences I've had have brought me here. And so I feel incredibly responsible. I don't have children of my own, but I have nieces and nephews and tons of cousins. And some of them have also studied engineering. and my push to get them to be global or to get them to do some other things, I believe that's a part of my responsibility. Whether I'm, I volunteer on boards or you know, even my leadership role at Wikipedia, I was hired to be the COO. And then when the black community came and said, hey, we want to elevate um, content on Wikipedia, I couldn't say, hey, that's not my job. I'm supposed to run operations. These are things that you, they just become a part of your responsibility because they'd never seen anyone that looked like me in leadership. They'd never had anyone advocate for the stories of black people on that platform. Less than 18% of the stories and the content on Wikipedia is about women. Less than 1% are about black people. How could I say no just because it wasn't a part of, you know, delivering operational rigor? I had to say yes. In my, my leadership role on the SPAC, so I'm the chairwoman of a SPAC, and um, for audience members, you know, a SPAC is a special purpose acquisition company. It is a way to um, be a part of building wealth, and I think that in the black community, this is something that um, another way and opportunity for us to, to create an avenue um, to growth. The reason I chose to, to chair Gray Bridge Acquisitions is because it's an all black spec. We have a strong commitment to HBCUs where most of us were educated and because we want to be able to create an opportunity that will continue to build wealth uh, in the black communities. You know, we are under um, certain guidelines where I can't say as much as I would like to now, but what I do want to leave with this audience is that a SPAC is yet another way for us to close the racial, the gap in, in wealth that can happen from a racial perspective. I think the other way is ed education. When you have an opportunity to go to college and you don't have debt, I was very fortunate to not have that, which means I have a 10-year leap on anyone graduating because it usually takes about 10 years to pay off your student loans. So that's one way. And what do we do with that wealth in the process? My dad was like, you got to buy a house. You got to do things like we have to, pe we have to have people teaching us that being able to be a part of venture capital groups and, and organizations like um, or teams like a SPAC are yet another way for us to disrupt uh, the, the communities of color and not just in how we solve a problem, but how we build wealth. And um, so these, these are all really important to me because as black people, most of us, and this is, this is honorable, so I'm not, I'm not shooting it down, but most of us, have the bulk of our wealth tied up in 401ks, which is, you know, look, great. If you've been able to build a 401k year over year for all these years, 
that is noble. It's just there's a there's a diversity that can come to our portfolios where there's a tipping point for wealth, um, yeah. and once you experience that, I believe that you you take on a different mindset. And um, there's a that's where all the the boldness and the leadership and wanting to bring others along that's where it tipped and shifted for me. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of Black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. We want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. It also requires active sponsorship of programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, along with funding programs like Project Ready, a national urban league program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. If you're looking for the most epic place on earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. You know, you know, one of the original concepts that got me into storytelling about technology, and particularly even via podcasting, um, was that the rules of engagement regarding startups and fundraising weren't equal for everybody. And that the information that was coming out of Silicon Valley about how to fundraise wasn't working for me in Ohio, right? And when many of us, you know, championed the genius of Steve Jobs and his and, and tried to mimic the way he behaved, you know, we found that that would land us in jail. You know, we can't behave like Steve Jobs behaved or Elon right. Musk today. Um, the things that white startup founders can get away with, like repetitive failing, we don't have that luxury. And so Absolutely. how do we, you know, particularly black founders, black entrepreneurs, black engineers um, with the tools that we have, help to reshape that narrative so that because it's even still today in many respects how to fundraise that education comes out of silicon valley well we ain't really in silicon valley right and so how do we with the tools that exist today 
let's take it from an engineering perspective. How do we create a new pathway so that our folks can get faster, so that engineers can get faster to what you talked about earlier, that entrepreneurial mindset? You know, I love that you asked that because I, I like to think of Nesby as like one of the first black tech startups because Nesby was founded by two Purdue undergraduates, Edward Barnett and Fred Cooper. They founded Nesby back uh, in 1975. We're going to be we're going to be 50 years old in three years. So, you know, you have these two brothers that are like the Steve and Steve of of, of, of Silicon Valley startups. And they're sitting there at Purdue University like, you know, this thing is hard and, and there's no black people. Are there other black people studying this? And I can only imagine in the 70s what it looked like, may have looked like to be at Purdue with a big Afro, a brother studying, you know, quantum physics and, and you know, thermodynamic theories. Yeah. And these two guys started Nesby and then they built a community. Nesby has, you know, over 20,000 student members now. And uh, they cover, we cover programs that start all the way from uh, Nesby Junior high school students all the way through um, your collegiate years and then the professionals, which are uh, Nesby graduates. And you have this community and this tribe of people that are finding their way to how to solve and build and create teaching curriculum and ways to do that that have diverse mindsets and showing them early on that this is what technology looks like. Imagine you want you have to come to our convention in March, Will, because I, I want even as a hybrid, we're going to have over six thousand black black engineers there. On any uh, and in any normal circumstance, you'll have over fourteen thousand. I just want to walk Silicon Valley through there and let them see. Yeah. That look at look at what this community looks like, and um, these are the types of people that you need on your teams, on your design teams, in your building. Um, of sessions, creating and, and strategizing and building ideas for the world because this is what the world looks like. And um, so, I, you know, we have to do more of that. We have to, I'm, I'm currently now collaborating with a group of, of women um, and, and I'm speaking at Afrotech, Morgan is one of them, just to talk about what it means to be a group of black women leading these huge technology efforts and how do we um, create a tribe amongst ourselves in a community. I wish that we will have more of these and more opportunities for us to gather and um, to help create cohorts of, of communities of color yeah. that are working in this space. It, it's not, we're not far off. This isn't a dream that can't be achieved. We're literally here doing it. We just have to show the world more of us because you're right. What can happen in Silicon Valley, unfortunately, doesn't. We can't get an idea and then, oh, all of a sudden, I just got this great idea and somebody gave me $10 million to flush it out. <laughs> yeah. You know, we've got to have the entire thing built with proof points, That's you know, in order for that to happen. Right? It is, it's an absolute fact, fact, right? You were doing a talk at a leadership summit. I don't remember the name of the leadership summit, but I was watching the video and you were talking about how you were compelled to have a word of the year. And I want you to take us through this exercise first on educate us on why it's important. And then how can we find our word and put it into practice? So for the rest of 2021, you know, give, give us how we should do this and plan for the rest of the year. And then we can prep for 2022 perhaps. 
Okay. So the word concept came from a group of friends. We've been friends for over 20 years. And it was a group of um, us. And we, we, I think someone brought it to us and said, um, what's an area where you want to focus? And, you know, it, it starts out with these long notes and, you know, over time you iterate and how can we get it down to one word? Because we, we like to make things a little extra, a little, a little harder. So we were trying to whittle down to one word. The framing of it came from my, my business coach. Her name is Radia Rhodes, and she is a black engineer from Nesby that now has um, a training business, Evoke, and, and she has been coaching me year after year. And every quarter now, we do this process where we beprint my life. And um, beprinting your life is meaning you're setting the design for the things that you want to accomplish. And we do it quarterly because most businesses operate like that as well. And it could be everything from my business, my entrepreneurial work, my volunteerism, my family, my personal life. But um, what is it that I want to design? And what is the name of the game or the, the thing that I'll be doing that quarter? And then for me, I like to whittle it down into a word. And I'm, I'm focusing on um, some of my goals spiritually, financially, socially, what I want to bring to the world and what I want to receive. And I actually do it at the start of my birthday, Will, which, and my birthday was just last week. So I just well, happy now. Happy birthday. Happy picked, birthday. <laughs> thank you. I just picked my word for the year. And, um, and I'll share it because I'm fine. For the longest time, my word was freedom. I have a tattoo of that word um, because it was so important for me to break through and be comfortable, like I said, being myself in environments that weren't comfortable with me and weren't trying to make me feel comfortable, yeah. right? So now my word for this year is abide, um, A-B-I-D-E. And when you abide in something, it means like you kind of set up residence. It's like the difference between, you know, couch surfing and moving into your own place and decorating it and making it look like the way you want it. Yeah. And, and I, I chose that word because the work that I want to do right now and that I'm, I, I know that I'm called to do in the space of black technology, whether it's at Nesby, whether it's on the SPAC that I'm a part of, some of the boards that I'm going that I'm a part of, I want to abide in there. I want to be so conf confident and so comfortable and so assured with what I'm bringing into that space that I'm open to learning. I'm confident with pivoting. I'm okay when we get it right. I'm humble when we get it wrong. And I'm abiding in this space so that I feel like I'm able to bring my best self into the places in this is where I'm called to. So I've had that word before, but it meant something different to me then. It meant like not being so wigged out all the time. Yeah. In this case, it means I'm bringing in assurance that that maybe comes with experience and with age and, and otherwise. Um, and so that's that's how I did it. And I would say, if we look at how we're going into the last two months of the year, and you know, next uh, today when we're recording, next week starts a new month. So not sure when this will air, but you've got you know 60 plus days to to close it out. I would pick something that would help you finish the year strong. What is and whatever finish strong means to you, personally, familial wise in your career. What's a word that's going to help you get? to the end of the year. And then when you get a chance to reset in January, how do you want to, to lead and to be um, in everything that you do in that year? And, and here's the thing, if you decide you've accomplished it, 
midway and you want to change, you know, there's no rules here. You know, no one's yeah. going to grade you on this. This is just something you get to do for yourself. So have some fun with it. And real quick, in 10 seconds, like how do we use it? Like, is this a word that we write on our mirror? Like, how do you stay reminded so of it? I, I keep it in my phone. I often tie... Um, either a scripture or a motivational quote or something to it. I put ideas around it, bullet points of this is what it means for me because trust me, you will forget or you'll get so stretched in your, your year that you'll, you'll need to remember why you wrote that down. So you always have to write your why. And then I want to go back to it because I need to be reminded why I chose this word, who I want to be as I take on this word and what I want to give as a result of having that experience. I keep it on my phone or I use, you know, electronic notes these days, you know, um, just as a way to keep me reminded. And it's something I put into practice. I try anyway. Yeah. You know, the internet at its core, you know, is like a system that provides access on a global scale, whether it be between people or between systems, you know, in the, in the blink of an eye. Uh, I remember hearing a technologist say several years ago that there will come a day where we won't even call it the internet because it'll be it'll just be it'll be something that's so ingrained that we won't see it as separate from us you know imagine what you know 10 years 15 or 20 you pick um what it looks like and how do we as black engineers play a role in creating that future well i would say first of all that we're already probably living in that world right remember when we used to call it the world wide web then we'd say we're getting online now we say we're googling stuff everything is i gotta google that i gotta do that or we're just doing and most of the time that means it's something related to the web right that's how we do life now it's what happens on our refrigerators and you know everything is electronic google siri add to my shopping list whatever right it's it's just the way we do life now 10 years from now you know 20 years ago, they said there was a digital divide, that blacks were not going to be a part of the internet and tech revolution because we didn't have access to Wi-Fi or phone lines and things like that. Now, anywhere you go in the world, Africa, anywhere, every black person's got two or three phones, different carrier, provider, smartphone. My 90-year-old mom has her smartphone and text and chat and send pictures and little champagne smiley faces or whatever. So this is a part of our life. Right. And she's 90. I love that she's like always wants to learn and how to get in the Zoom chats and work it 10 years from now. When I'm using a certain platform and I won't name it because I don't want you to edit me out when I'm using a certain platform and I can't find an automatic brown thumbs up so that when we're in the chat in a meeting, you know, I refuse to use any type of emoji in this one particular system because they only they don't have brown fingers you can't yeah. change the shades i know what you're talking about. right when those things you know and i hate it and i'm like so i refuse to thumbs up i just write thumbs up i have to write it because i refuse to use it yeah. until they fix that tech those are things that that next generation the 10 year old that's born the kid that's born today that'll be 10 never experienced that. just like my nephew has never seen you know doesn't know what it means to have a regular tv everything is a smart tv he thinks everything swipes left and right right the internet 
and the, the tech world will speak to us in a way that is not a secondary source. We are primary as women, people of color, we will be the dominant community in the world in 10 years from now. So those aren't things that we should be held up by. They should just be uh, formulated as a part of uh, the design process. And um, when there are gaps in, in access to Wi-Fi and things like that, there's so many open source and communities that are helping make sure that everyone, everyone has that. And uh, we have to continue to support and fund that because these should not be uh, things that hold us back in the future. And they won't be. Black Tech Green Money is a production of Blavity Afrotech on the Black Effect Podcast Network and iHeartMedia. It's produced by Morgan DeBond and me, Will Lucas, with additional production support by Love Beach and Marissa Lewis. Special thank you to Micah Davis, Adam Sims, and Sakara Savanyan. You know, like the wine? Yes, that's his real name. Learn more about my guests and other tech disruptors and innovators at afrotech.com. The video version of this episode will drop the Black Tech Green Money on YouTube, so tap in. Enjoying Black Tech Green Money? Leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. Go get your money. Peace and love. Black Tech Green Money isn't just about telling the stories of successful black entrepreneurs. It's also about giving actionable and wealth-building strategies that help you protect the future of our communities. That's why we're pleased to be supported by State Farm Insurance. State Farm also believes that we must invest in our communities to achieve economic growth by sponsoring programs like the AXO, which rewards high school students for their academic achievements. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You know a spot, but not just a spot, the spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots, being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. AT&T connects and ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the driving to work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T.